0: To the House of Learning podcast produced by A Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburrow and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland.
1: Today we're taking a look at 1 Timothy 2 and Women and Ministry. Hi, everyone. It's Richard and Molly here again. have had like the longest run of podcasts with just you and me mm-hmm. um, in a row for a know. long time. Like the good old days, <laughs> exactly. but without Daniel Golder telling silly jokes.
2: That's right. Always derailing. <laughs> Hope you're doing well, Daniel. Yes.
1: <laughs> so I think it would be weird if you've missed it because it's been what's been on the podcast for many weeks now. We've been having this conversation about gender and ministry. The class finished. Um, but there was a bit more to talk about in First Timothy. And so we're going to see if we can wrap that up today and try and, I don't know, put all the bits of the jigsaw on the table that are going to help us understand this verse um, because it is one of the verses that i think in like a in a history of translation and biblical studies it's only recently it's really been put under the microscope mm-hmm. and so uh, it, uh, there were a lot of assumptions feeding into the way that this was understood preached translated for a good 100 years maybe more
2: yes it's weird because there's um, like at the be- in the early church, and there's a span up until the fifth century that the, mm-hmm. there it was not like a highly debated issue as much, and then you know
1: through f- the medieval Catholic yeah. period, yeah. yeah, all the way through.
2: It's kind of like a post-Reformation things start to get a little bit foggy, and then from then up until World War II, there's some distance on it, but then World War II happens in the American context, and it starts to become like a hot Yes: Button
1: issue.: Yes. and so um, yeah, it, so there has been a, a sort of renaissance of biblical scholarship looking and doing research into the grammar of this, and mm-hmm. you might think, oh well, why can't people just read it more carefully? But sometimes, when you've got like a complex sentence structure in the Greek that's uncommon. Mm-hmm. then you are looking at like, oh, I'm going to have to see where I can find that same gran- grammatical, syntactical structure in all of Paul's writing, all of the New Testament, then maybe all of the Septuagint, then maybe all the Greek literature you can find. Yep. Like, yep. These are no small tasks, <laughs> the research yeah. basically. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's one where um, there's a, l- a lot of like hard to translate things. Um, a lot of the translations we probably read um, have not really reflected the last 15-20 years of scholarship no. and discoveries about the text mm-hmm. um, and it's um, yeah, it it's become a verse and it's become an issue that's become like a litmus test for people um, which is a weird I mean you kind of talked a little bit about this in the class but just flagging up again like um whether a woman teaches in a church has become a litmus test of a, like a church's culture mm. and people make a bunch of assumptions if there's a woman teaching and those assumptions tend to be a set that looks something like you are being pushed around by culture mm-hmm. you don't take the word of god seriously
3: mm-hmm.
1: you don't have a very high hermeneutic um and yeah things like that
3: yeah
1: and Actually, it's the serious dig into, like, what's the Bible really say that has changed not just this church's but many scholars' and Christians' views about, oh, my goodness, this is a verse that historically we've not done a good job of reading and understanding and interpreting. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so we want to... yeah, at least move us forward a little bit. But in the midst of doing that, my, you guys know, Molly and I have got like slightly different perspectives, although mm. there's lots of big things we agree on. Yeah. Um, but we're also, I don't know, watching for future discoveries because books are being written every year with like new mm-hmm. insights. Mm-hmm. And so um, it would be unwise I was going to say silly, (laughs) but it would be unwise to um, think we know more than we do about this. Yes. And sometimes people and this is a bit of a weirdness sometimes because people can be like a very well, no, it plainly says like it just clearly like just read it plainly. I'm like, oh, you mean understand the English, which is quite a poor translation because it's hard to translate plainly. And even your understanding of the English is understood with a bunch of theological assumptions you bring to the text, mm-hmm. expectations you have that shape what you think it's going to say yes. and what questions it's going to answer, which is very poor hermeneutics, mm-hmm. like to, to do things that way.
2: And hermeneutics is just a fancy way of saying how to read your yes. Bible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would agree. And I also think that like we ap- approach like when it comes to research and thoughtful and careful um, approaches to learning, maybe outside of the theological academic sphere, like it is a, it it is good stewardship to continue to read new things Mm -hmm. that are being discovered. Like no one would ever bat an eye if a scientist were to like in an area of research, continue to discover and read things in the area that they are pursuing yeah. scientifically like
1: we wouldn't do it say like smoking like oh it causes cancer well no because like a hundred years ago look yeah. at all the advertisements yeah. look at all the science that was saying smoking is good for you mm-hmm. right like, like we we know that's not a pertinent way to try to understand something right
2: and there, there's there's a lack of humility in assuming that uh, that we have figured it all out yes. and therefore not worthy to press in so i just want to speak to that just because I think sometimes the feedback is like well what is all this new stuff being discovered that wasn't talked about and is this new stuff just trying to make a text say something that we want it to when in reality uh, we actually probably were doing that a little bit more back then making it say what we wanted it to say.
1: And that's not unique to this verse like the history of theology (laughs) is that our understanding of the scriptures and our our way like what we th- the the way we express theology, because theology is our human attempt to take where we are right now and the people we're trying to reach, reach into the scriptures for truth and pull out something that's faithful to that truth, but then puts puts humanity on it to be able to contact the people we're trying to reach mm-hmm. and so theology is this ever evolving thing and um yeah uh, it's interesting i mean this is another like church history thing but post war there was two movements there was a sort of liberalizing mm-hmm. movement but there was also a um sort of swing the pendulum the other way let's resist liberalizing mm-hmm. let's resist new things mm-hmm. and that w- that was theology politics sociology anthropology right. every, area every, of life. every area of life but um yeah, the there there is, a, and it's pe- peculiarly in American Christianity, not exclusively, but prominently in American Christianity, there's a lot of churches that after the war adopted a stance and a kind of a, an ecclesiology, um, an idea about God's mission for them that was, you know, we've got it and our job is to defend it from change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of us versus the world. Everything's framed in terms of culture wars. um And, yeah, a posture was taken like that was against discovery because that kind of it sounds like something that cuts against the mission. The mission is to, like, hold the line. Um And it's not that that's the first time in Christian history that's happened. But that is unusual in mm-hmm. the history of the church universal, which is... Mm-hmm. You know, generally, uh, you know, accepted and embraced discovering things theologically and biblically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's just a lot of interesting history, but that's not what we're doing. So, nine minutes of history. Now, <laughs> let's get to Timothy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and a um, heads up. Um, hopefully, this will be the last podcast we do on this. Move on to some different topics would be good because this is not the most important thing in the world. No. Um. So, uh, people might want to like. Okay, I'm. Um. You know, some people might be like, "Oh, great! Like, you've taught me enough that I've you know learned some things. That's good for me." Some people might be like, "Oh, I'd love to like keep diving in deeper." And so, I'm going to attach to the podcast notes a link. Um, Molly and I will try and pull together like some of our favorite, like most helpful books across a spectrum of views. Um, and maybe annotate that bibliography a little bit so that if you want to read something you can like have a look through and identify things that might answer the questions that you've got. Mm-hmm. So yeah, look out for that in the notes. That could be a, a good resource. So let's talk about the the context of Timothy. So mm-hmm. we had some Ephesian like history yes. in the class. Yep. Um about male-female roles, things like that. Um, do you want to give us, like, the the one-minute recap? Sure. Just yeah. to get us yeah. in the zone.
2: Um, the Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. So it's a highly personalized letter. Yeah. We talked in the class a little bit about, like, contrasting that uh, against the letter to the Ephesians. So same same cultural and historical context. Um, But the letter to the Ephesians functioned as a circular letter. So it moved its way from church to church to church, and it was intended to do so. And so there are more generalized principles on how to conduct church life, leadership, addresses some some, still, some historical and cultural issues pertaining to the, to the culture of Ephesus, but is a little bit more general um, around a um, a context that is quite large in comparison to First and Second Timothy. Timothy is pastoring a small church in Ephesus, and the the way that the letter reads is it is likely that Timothy expressed concerns regarding um, the nature of false teachings, as well as a few other issues to Paul. And this is Paul's response to the things that Timothy has been sharing. Um, The things that were going on during the time um, that we've learned through historical research uh, is that um, Ephesus in Paul's day uh, had a pretty heavily influential cult at the time. Um, and this this goddess, Artemis, um, had a lot of influence, particularly over the women, but in general over the pagans during that time. And um, that wasn't
1: exclusive to that, like proto-Gnostic cults as well often yeah. had prominent female, mm-hmm. uh, male kind of issues. Going yes, on. absolutely,
2: yeah. absolutely. And that traces back to, I mean, this is not a new issue that we're like for trying to discover for the first time. We talked uh, in the first class about uh, some of the narratives surrounding the ancient Near Eastern um, narratives similar to the ones, um, or similar to Genesis. So Genesis, mm-hmm. you know, is establishing male-female relationships. So is the Enuma Elish, so is... A f- there, so are a few other pieces of literature. Male-female dynamics, relationships, et cetera, are, are a topic of conversation that's ongoing yeah. throughout all of um, ancient history as well. But it was believed that Artemis was the child of Zeus and Leto and the sister of Apollo. And so instead of seeking fellowship among her own kind, she sought the company of a human male consort. And so this made Artemis and all her female adherents superior to men inherently, So the influence of Artemis um, around the teachings that women and the narratives that women were coming into the particular church that Timothy was pastoring bears great significance on some of the corrections that are taking place in the letter of Timothy because they're coming in with strong narratives, similar to, um, but not a carbon copy of, if we had um, just an influx of strong faith. Female leaders that started attending Westside, who had been deeply indoctrinated by um, third-wave feminism, and believed that they themselves were the superior gender—not um, just superior over men, but superior, uh, like g- godlike—and uh, felt entitled to lead and teach in a certain way. There would need to be some corrections taking place because of the dominance. Uh, And expectation around influence that these women would probably inherently come into the church with. So that just to kind of paint maybe a 21st century picture of what that could look like. And that
1: pairs with then we actually get in the pastoral epistles a lot of information about what was going on with these false teachers Yes. as well. So um, the problem is not just that you've got a bunch of women who've, you know they're used to a different culture of gender relations, and now they're in the church, and all hell's mm. breaking loose. Mm-hmm. Yes, but and both
2: male and female are getting corrected for false teachers. Yes,
1: yes, um, but but you do, um, Paul does seem to indicate that the group of people doesn't seem to Paul very clearly yeah. in case <laughs> that the group of people being most affected by the false teachers are some of the women in the Mm -hmm. church Mm -hmm. and so this cultural dynamic helps to explain why women are ripe for being deceived by these false teachers Mm -hmm. Um, and and not just the cultural things but also probably poor education
2: most likely i mean education happened in the home if if it was happening
1: for most of them and um just the you know that, like the content of the false teaching. So, if, uh, if you look through, just read through First Timothy, a lot of it was to do with forbidding people to marry, um, ordering people to abstain from certain foods, mm-hmm. and saying the resurrection has already taken place. So, like those false teachings affirmed a widow or a spinster's dignity, mm-hmm. that the like the final resurrection state had already be you know arrived, that family obligations, you know, the social. Pressures and dynamics of marriage, you know, could be ignored, mm-hmm. and so um, for women who are in that culture, much more dependent on marriage as a route to security, mm-hmm. you know, these false teachings would have been um, highly attractive to yep. women and highly unattractive to men. Yep. Um, so there's a there's a sort of a gender bias in mm-hmm. the attractiveness of these um, false teachings that they probably uh, yeah and and the false teachers were targeting women and and Paul says you know they uh, he talks about um, the false teachers um, you know uh, going into widows houses uh, you know leading them astray um, and uh, e- even um, like it, it just interesting themes of like fleeing youthful lusts have nothing to do with those lovers of pleasure who enter the homes of women to control them mm-hmm. um, uh, and to be swayed by evil desires. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it paints a picture yep. of these false teachers targeting women, but throwing away the norms of not just marriage, but sexual relations within marriage. Yes. And they were probably sleeping with these women and deceiving them. Yep. So there's like, it's not just false teaching like, oh, I'm not sure you've quite read the Bible right, but there's a kind of insidious, evil,
2: all encapsulating. destructive thing going on with these mm-hmm. false
1: teachers mm-hmm. that are targeting women. But targeting women not by pulling them out of the church, but, but targeting women in it, order to influence, and <laughs> infiltrate the yeah, church yeah. and deceive these women and turn them into vehicles through which they can then uh, well, Manipulate. get their jollies sexually yeah. and then find a way into influencing yep. the church. Yep. Because these are the kind of women that it's normal for them to be like, yeah, you're a goddess, like put yourself forward out there, uh-huh. like. Wield wield your influence and yeah so yep, yep.
2: It's and, and a on, hot mess of stuff and on top of that there's also not in just the way that it's being taught and Richard you referred to this but even in the way that women are starting to conduct themselves of like adorning themselves outwardly yes. gossiping there are um, like the fruit of this false teaching is bearing significance on the way that women are showing up yep. to the gathering. Well, like, like showing when Paul up to talks homes. about
1: modesty of dress, mm-hmm. you know, it's like there's lots of tone here of correcting the ways that the culture is going off course. Right,
2: right. And we think of like, okay, so they're wearing a lot of gold jewelry. That doesn't say, like, I've got my gold wedding ring on and a necklace and my, you, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> no, like it I've, was- I've a, got mine on
1: as well. Yes, so, yeah, so you, sinner.
2: <laughs> uh, no, it was a signal of, of, um, like sexual promiscuity, and it it was just um, feeding into a narrative that was ultimately destructive. and we see teachings all throughout the New Testament, from Jesus, from Paul, from others taking seriously, like remove the wolves from among you mm-hmm. when they are causing destruction. That's what the a primary role of a shepherd is is to be able to not only care for the sheep, but also recognize when a wolf is among them, destroying them. And these women were wolves.
1: Yes. And even the language of how it was playing out in how it was affecting men and women in the church. Uh You know, we get words like controversies, disputations, arguments, um, like endless chatter, um, like silly philosophy, foolishness. Like um, the way that the introduction of not just a new culture but new ideas is going and what it's causing it is stirring up strife in this church which i think like to get to timothy 2 then i think it's really telling that um you know and it's like a manual for timothy on you know hey i'm writing to you about how to clean house in the church in mm-hmm. ephesus mm-hmm. and um yeah he he talks about wanting godly people, uh, this is in uh, verse 2, to live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and holiness. Like, that's a tone setter for the letter of, like, what's the aim here? You know? Because, like Paul often is, he's concerned about how the church being wrong is impacting its witness to the city it's in. Yep, And so these quiet, peaceful lives with godliness and holiness is not just good for them, but also... Good like for the God witness friends, of Christ. It's good for the witness. Yep. And so, you know, that's something that's being aimed at. And then uh, when he says in verse 8, hey, the men, they need to pray. And instead of lifting up their hands in anger and disputing, they need to lift them, lift up holy hands in prayer. Mm-hmm. And so is sort of reading between the lines here's like, okay, so there's a group of women being deceived, causing problems, these false teachers through these women, but the men are responding in a bad way, mm-hmm. like by, by basically fighting fighting so, so fights are breaking out I don't know if it's like fist fights um, don't really know what physical abuse looked like in the uh, mm. ancient world that's can't not, imagine not it would be I good want to Research yeah. no. um, but it's interesting that in the midst of his instructions to men and women um, and and what he says to Timothy, he doesn't say to the men, you need to take charge. Like he actually tells them, stop fighting Uh and pray. Yep. And so it's just, I don't know. I mean, we can't spend loads of time on every little piece of this, but Mm -hmm. there's such a richness to the pastorals Mm -hmm. because it's, I think when you write a personal letter, where there's a high degree of relationship, yep. you can say a lot in fewer words. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, you could write many, many volumes on the pastoral epistles mm-hmm. um, because there's a, a richness to them. Yep. Yeah, so fights, so fights are breaking out. Yep. Um, well, real quick, shameless, stuff. shameless plug. My, my voice is going, so now you just take Well, over. this is
2: entirely <coughs> irrelevant. No, it's not entirely relevant. If you are a man, if you are a man and you have a heart for prayer, we've got uh, a a stacked prayer team with like 15 plus women onboarding four more this weekend and five men.
1: Yes. So it's not irrelevant. So- <laughs> Shameless plug by <laughs> Shameless Pastor of Prayer. Plug by Pastor of and Prayer. And by Richard, who often stands by the ward and is like, "Ah, I'm trying to pray with like yes. four guys at the same time. Yes. Come help us." Yes, because I have to recruit Richard weekly. Awesome. Yeah,
2: and not and I, I you know I know he's delighted to pray. It's part of his yeah. job. He used to be par- yeah, the Pastor of Prayer. If you're
1: listening p- and you like praying, or even if you're like, I don't really know, but I'd be willing to learn and give it a try. It is the most amazing thing when God's like doing something profound in someone's life yes. and you get a front row seat and get yes. to join in.
2: Yes. yes. We yes. did an end of year survey and the number one feedback was how blessed people were by the prayer mm-hmm. team. So come be a part they of what God is doing. Yes. Men, lift Men. up those holy hands and pray.
1: Yeah. Get involved. Okay. That may not be quite the <laughs> <exposition> <laughs> of that position. N- yes. That's
2: where it feels <laughs> derailing. It's like that's really not the point of the passage however
1: so so then we so we we've got this um you know paul's correcting the culture like men the route to to dealing with this is not to just like fight and try to control uh, like everything um god will be in control god like inviting prayer says like allow god to change this situation Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um and the women like there's some culture things um, you know, around the sexualization of women mm-hmm. in the congregation, that is like, hey, we need to we need to stop that. That's not right. And instead, like the way that you show your value is not by uh, either your freedom, given the context of the false teaching, your freedom from marriage, relationships, family, and things like that, as if those things don't matter. Mm-hmm. But um, appropriate relationships. And and rather than the sinful desires for pleasure, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: the desire to do good deeds, Mm -hmm. the desire for justice, mercy, things like that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. big culture piece. But but then we get to verses eleven to fourteen. And these are the ones where there's the complexity. So we'll let's take this slowly. Yep. So verse eleven says a woman should learn in quietness and uh, full submission. NIV adds the word full.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. But yeah, so we've got these two themes quietness and submission, and the imperative to learn. Um, and I think you said this in the class, so I'm just going to say it quickly. Right With, by. Within this whole section, there is only one command Paul gives about women. Where it's in the imperative mm-hmm. uh, sort of force of the uh-huh. verb. It's like uh-huh. this is a command and imperative. real and quick that is to learn
2: to learn yes, real quick. A lot of statements are in the Greek indicative, mm-hmm. which is just a statement, um, often descriptive. yes, like this is the way that he you know he's just observing something in there for a descriptive it's statement. Like the different
1: th- like indicative is like, oh, the cat's over there. yes it is a statement. The imperative is like "Molly, put the cat over there." Mm-hmm.
2: Imperative yes. is a in the Greek a grammatical command. And yeah. the difference is uh very easy to spot if you've yeah. taken any
1: different, different any different, different endings levels of Greek different Greek letters. Mm-hmm. Yes. They
2: put the they literally just take, keep the same word and they add an ending to it. I mean yeah. I'm not over, I'm overly simplifying, but no debate. Yes, this may be what i 'm trying to communicate yeah, this is this
1: is not a matter of like oh what do you think it means how do you read it right it 's not culture? a it 's not just a sentence what structure the grammar of the Greek actually say mm-hmm. so the thing if we 're looking at like the commands and and the way it begins like women learning is in the foreground, and that's yes. really important because sometimes our questions about what does he mean by permit What does it mean by submission you know and we We have questions that we bring to the text that make us think those are the important things Paul has to say here. Um, But actually, you know, if we did that and Paul was sat with us, he'd be like, dude, did you not notice though, like, great, let's help you understand those words. But the the important thing I said was that the women need to be learning. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting because in the culture, well, uh, more culture, more history, Ephesian church mixed Jewish and Gentile. Um, and the tensions between those two groups um, are clear mm-hmm. in the Ephesians and the pastoral mm-hmm. epistles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, Juda- the, so the Jewish part of the church with Jewish cultural heritage would have seen an easy solution to the cultural problems, which was to segregate the women and exclude them from a learning environment. And not just learning, but the, the assembling, when the church gets together to pray, worship, prophesy, exercise gifts and where learning is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very, I, I don't know, there's a lot of things Paul says where you can tell he's trying to head off, like, now I know you're going to think this, but no, mm-hmm. we're going to do it this way. And I know you guys are going to think this, but no, we need to do it this way. And I know mm-hmm. some of you think this, but no, we need to. Mm-hmm. So there's a, you can sort of, if you understand the culture, see what he's targeting mm-hmm. with these things mm-hmm. and putting prominently that women need to learn does seem to be a corrective to like some people may have been advocating for, like, we should just get the women out of here. Yeah. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's not a solution. Yep. <laughs> that creates a problem. Yep. Um, and so many other times, women are either directed to learn or included in, like, everyone's supposed to be learning. Yes. Like, the inclusiveness of this mm-hmm. church body. Mm-hmm. So that's very telling. Yep. Um, the imperative to learn. And then we get these two terms about the way that this learning should happen. Yes. So quietness and submission.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh this isn't this is not the equivalent of the adjective silent that would be modifying the noun yes. woman. The sentence structure is modifying the v- verb to be. So it's a description. Um, oftentimes translators take this to describe the state of being for a woman. The woman needs to be silent where more accurately, it's a description of how she is to learn. Yes. It is qualifying
1: the verb to learn. Yes. Yes. It's qualifying the the activity of learning. Yes. Not women are just always supposed to be submissive. Right. Yes. Yes.
2: And that is significant because the difference between telling a woman to be silent and to learn. Yeah. Calmly in silence, peacefully, uh, radically different outcomes. Yes.
1: And if Paul had wanted to say women need to be silent, there is a Greek word that always means yep. silence, silence, the absence of noise. It's sigue. Yep. And Paul doesn't use that word.
2: Nope. He uses enhesitia, yep. which we, they translated it in English, so we don't need to memorize it in Greek, but just good. in case we need and it. And
1: it's, it's also, it's the same root word for quietness that appears at the beginning of the chapter Mm -hmm. when Paul says that we may live a a peaceful and quiet life. Yes. So he's talking not about like, I mean I'm an introvert. If we all just like stayed in our own bubbles in silence I'd be quite happy. Mm -hmm. But that's not what Paul's saying at the beginning of this chapter. (laughs) What he's talking about is a life that's harmonious. Mm -hmm. That instead of fighting there's supposed to be harmony. And so you know I don't know if you've ever like walked into a high school classroom where a debate has turned into a fight. You know, like yeah. I, re- I remember visiting. I used to do work going into school sometimes. And yeah, I mean, a lot of fun, but you're just like after a while you're like, Someone's going to throw a chair. Yeah. Like, no one's learning now. You know, <laughs> like this is this has gone off the rails. The
2: learning section is. Uh,
1: and then there's a version where, like, there's conversation. There's, people are listening well to each other. Mm. Ideas can be heard and thought through. And yeah, there's a different tone. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, really unfortunate that this word has been translated silent in some translations, because nowhere in Greek literature does this word mean silence. Right. The, like, there's a number of like other words that mean silence. Mm-hmm. Um, this always means um, peaceful, the, calm, the peaceful sort of calm yep. uh, thing. So, yep. yeah, that's very unfortunate. So we've got the the quietness and submission. Um, so
2: we talked a little bit about this too. It, it yeah, it, and Richard, you can add anything. But um, there's a natural posture being taken between a teacher and a learner the learner comes under sits under the teaching of the one who who is considered to be the teacher that is an act of submission so to put it plainly it is a description of of a behave, an ideal behavior of a student
1: yeah and it's a universal elsewhere Yep. in Ephesians yep. tellingly um that we're all supposed to submit to one another as yep. under Christ. Right, right. So, but the the submission so is going it, with yes. again with the learning. So, so going with the learning, it's it you know it's qualifying learning but um it's not introducing some weird feminine trait. Mm-hmm.
2: Independent it, it's of a, It's
1: it's a standard thing yep. in the church to talk about submission. Yep. And Paul's bringing that universal idea in.
2: To describe the to activity to describe of the, the woman. activity of learning. Of learning f- yes. for the woman, yeah.
1: Um, I, I, I want to put a twist on like a slightly different, uh, I, I don't know if it's different or an additional thing. I'll let Kay. you respond. Okay. Um, and, and I was thinking about like, I've, I've met so many people that are like, yeah, Timothy says like, that, like in this verse, like women are supposed to submit to men. Like, no doesn't say that categorically that is absent from the text Mm -hmm. um you know and so submission to who and and this is where i think it might be different you kind of pointed maybe at the teacher um but another thing paul could be meaning here is and especially with context of um the false teaching going on that this could be um the kind of opposite of later on where he talks about uh, Eve being deceived. Hmm. That rather than submission to the teacher, it's talking about submission to the truth. Like yeah. you, you women need to recognize that there's deception of false teaching that's yeah. entered in and affecting you. Because Timothy's going to clean house of the false teachers and call out their influence, yeah. which is, Timothy's told to do. And what the, the posture that's being invited is a learning that's open to i need to be corrected by your truth god yeah and so it's submission to like right doctrine yep and and to the word of god and the, the word of the apostles the tradition of the church yeah um and so yeah i mean that that could and and this is a classic case of like further research pending we may be able to tell the difference looking at more and more of paul's uses of these words and things like this and the early churches understanding of Paul and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I would say so. it's talking more about like, be quiet, like don't have a fight, but engage in the learning in quietness, Mm -hmm. in harmony with an intent to obey the truth.
2: Yeah. And I, I actually wouldn't disagree with you. I think in my mind, the two go hand in hand is hopefully the teacher is the one who is acting as the conduit for the truth and therefore, the submission comes ultimately under God, under submission to the truth being delivered by the teacher. Um. So I don't necessarily like I don't necessarily see them as like it could be the teacher or it could be the truth. Like, I, I could yeah. see them maybe even working in tandem again. It could, it could
1: be in tandem as well. I think
2: yes, yeah. more research pending.
1: Yeah, but it, it's that kind of like what's the opposite of not having submission look like, and we can. I mean we're going to have authority over a man pop up, so we're going to have to talk about that. Yep. but it's telling that when it comes to interaction with truth, mm-hmm. which is more of the learning thing,
3: because
1: mm-hmm. um, the authority over a man may be to do with the fights going on rather than the content of false teaching. Yeah that's like effect, cause and effect. Mm-hmm. But where he emphasizes the way that deception led to sin, mm-hmm. like that word is consistently. Where like she became a sinner or a transgressor, that word is always used by Paul to refer to someone breaking God's law, mm-hmm. not breaking a church tradition, mm-hmm. not breaking like a, a cultural norm, not breaking an authority structure in the church or yeah. male or female relations. And it's always to do with God's law. Yeah. So it does seem that there's something Paul has in mind here about like the kind of submission that's being talked about submission to God. Um which I, I just, a little careful reading of the text, and you're like, oh. And I, I think, you know, before we move on to the next verse, it just makes me think, wow, but how many times have I heard people say, oh, yeah, First Timothy 2.11 says that women are supposed to be in submission to men. Yeah. And not only is yep. that not there, right. but you've missed the, the good thing that it's saying.
2: And that it is saying by so, being distracted by like, that.
1: Whatever we think of these verses, it should caution us in just reading the whole of our Bible all the time that we should just like you said earlier be humble, slow down, do it in community, listen to other voices, beware of echo chambers you know all of all of mm-hmm. those things we know are good for us
2: yeah and good and good biblical hermeneutics or the way that we read and understand the Bible considers the presuppositions or the things that we bring mm-hmm. into that influence our understanding of the text. Yeah. And I think that there is we've gone maybe too far in saying like and get rid of all of them before you read the text because I think there are some things like me being female sometimes actually contributes to being able to understand God's word in a yeah. in you know like I'm not going to disregard my femaleness God made me female so yeah. But that being said, we need to be yes. conscious that, of the... That could be a whole... Yeah, that
1: feels like a whole... <laughs> do Has, on that. Did like...
2: you and Ryan ever record? Because I know that's a huge passion. Yeah, interest, I but...
1: don't know. I think we've mentioned it a few times. Yeah. But yeah, you could survey like insights, especially into Hebrew poetry, hmm. where female eyes on a text spotted things that men just weren't noticing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's one. Of, but there's there's lots of examples. But that's yeah. something for another day. So that's verse 11 so we we see the woman to to correct this the fight that's breaking out because of the influence of these false teachers. The corrective is that these women who've been deceived need to learn mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it seems like rather than a posture of learning with quietness and submission, they've had a sort of arrogance thinking. That they don't need to listen mm-hmm. to maybe the church elders or the apostle or Timothy even. Or, yeah, you know, they, they don't need to listen. There's an arrogance, and they're not doing it in quietness. They're actually creating tension and fights, and they don't have a posture of learning. They have mm-hmm. a posture mm-hmm. of telling, mm-hmm. um, and, and not just telling, but a kind of nasty version. Yeah. like a yeah. an arrogant version of yeah. telling. Yeah, and so that's the that's the contrast going on in mm-hmm. the context, mm-hmm. and then we get. I am not permitting a woman to, and then we've got the teach and authority
3: over mm-hmm. a man
1: part. So let's just start with the first bit. Kay. So I've got an NIV in front of me, which says I do not permit.
2: I have NIV, NLT, and ESV. Okay. Uh, NIV let's says... Let's spot the difference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, NLT says I do not let women,
3: mm-hmm.
2: plural, and then the ESV says, I do not permit a woman. Okay.
1: And all of those sound like another imperative. But in the Greek, mm-hmm. they're not.
2: Again, imperative would mean command.
1: Command. Um, it's actually in this present continuous tense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I read it because I cheated and didn't read my NRV <laughs> as I am not permitting. Mm-hmm. Like, grammat- like, that sounds funky because we don't normally talk that yes. way in English. Yes. So I can totally understand why a translator Didn't would have been like, that. "Oh, what's the right way to phrase this? But um, because the I do not permit has connotations for us of, like, permanence and, like, a universal command. It sounds command language. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I'm, you know, I'm not letting that happen. Or I'm not even the word permit, I like, I like that, was it NLT had let? I do not let. Which softens the connotation, uh-huh. doesn't sound such an imperative. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm not letting that happen. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, are we, we going to have a water balloon fight today? Like, oh, no, I'm not letting that happen. Yeah. That doesn't sound like water balloon fights are always and forever banned. Right. It just sounds like right now that's not what we're going to do. Yep. Um, yep. and that that point of grammar doesn't decide by itself whether paul is making a universal statement here or not right right but it makes clear that the beginning of this sentence is not in, is not uh, it doesn't constrain Exclusively. Us to, this this has yep. to be a universal yep, statement yeah uh, and lots of people um yeah, I've noticed this. It's, it's interesting. Even people who are more on the sort of hard complementarian end of the spectrum have been recognizing that, you know, there's, there's less force of a universal in this sentence mm-hmm. than um, really the universalization of his language here mm-hmm. depends on how you I- interpret verses 13 to 15. But yep. we'll get to them in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh
2: Another just another, quick another
1: permitting detail.
2: Uh, another grammar detail. Yes. Woman is singular. Yes. There were some questions that came up about s- the, the pluralali- yes. plurality or uh, singularity in the Greek. Gunaki is feminine singular.
1: Yes. Um, another grammar point, like a word usage by Paul. I think there's 29 times or something I was reading that Paul uses the word permit. Hmm. And he seems to use it to distinguish between a universal and a temporary because every time Paul uses the term permit, uh-huh. it's introducing something that's clearly of limited scope. Hmm. Actually, I think it might be beyond Paul. I think it might be a New Testament thing. Um, but there's some interesting... I and, and, uh, You know, these are the kind of discoveries the way the research is being done of like oh let's look at the usage of that term or else now that we're wondering is this a word Paul tends to use this way or this other way mm-hmm. and permit yeah. Th- basically if Paul is using the word permit or let to introduce a universal command here this would be an exception to the way he normally uses it Right. so right. Yeah, interesting little detail as well
2: and important we we often when something is unclear in one particular text go to see first how the author yes. uses it elsewhere yes. then there's other steps involved but first how yeah. the author uses it elsewhere yeah.
1: good principle of hermeneutics good principle. doesn't doesn't always pop out the right answer but it's it's one of those like it's Best wise practices. to start with what's clear
3: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: so then we've got these two words teach and Well, blank authority. Yes, authentain (laughs) a man. Mm -hmm. So, um, teach first.
2: Yeah, you do teach. I do authentain.
1: So the word teach it it's this uh, didesco, Mm -hmm. and it's a it's just a common word Paul uses to teach, Mm -hmm. and he uses it in lots of different contexts. Mm -hmm. Paul can use this word to talk about. The kind of teaching that can be where we can imagine it in the when the uh, the church worships together, Mm -hmm. Um, but we don't actually have evidence in Paul's time that the church gathered for the purposes of teaching. They gathered for the purpose of worship Worship. and exercising, like maybe prophecy, Mm -hmm. Um, but teaching was more done house to house.
2: In a discipleship context, yes, actually, discipleship context. teach and disciple yeah. um, are come from the same root word in yes. the Greek.
1: Yeah, um, and you know, it gets used lots of different ways. Um, it's uh, teaching is something that is exercised depending on how the Holy Spirit gifts people by all the church. Mm-hmm. So he's not talking about an office of like being a pastor, teacher, or being, you know something. Yep.
3: Uh
1: cuz actually like Paul says, you know, when you gather together, you know, each of you has a a, psalm, a you know, like there's this inclusiveness of how mm-hmm. the spirit works and the spirit can like want to teach through different people. Mm-hmm. In our modern context, now now if you imagine a discipleship circle, you know, you might walk away from spending an evening like looking at the Bible and praying together. And be like, man, I really think like God spoke through Molly and, and and he said something else through Joe. And but I could still be the person that was leading the discussion. But God used different people mm-hmm. to teach as his spirit moved in our time. Yep. Um and so that is closer to Paul's like the, the mental box mm-hmm. for teaching that that is the culture of the New Testament church. Mm-hmm. When we read the word teach, we tend to think, oh, you mean stand behind a pulpit. and Often on of, a stage,
2: often stage. with a lot of influence. And
1: the sort of authoritative explanation of doctrine, of, of, of formal indoctrination of people mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that is a historical anachronism. So a historical anachronism is where we read something in the, in the like say the New Testament, and then we imagine what it is is something we've got a modern box box for. But actually, that box didn't exist at the time. Mm -hmm. So we know we're we're misunderstanding Mm -hmm. the text. Because some people have said, like, uh, just to put words in an imaginary person's mouth, you know, like, oh, this means that a woman is not permitted to formally explain doctrine in front of the church. Well, formally explaining doctrine in front of a church cannot be what Paul means here because that wasn't happening. Right. He would be not permitting something that wasn't happening. Yeah. Now, you've got to bear in mind his whole point in writing this letter is to stop the influence of false teachers and false teaching who are going house to house.
2: Yep. House to house.
1: Yes. So we we we've got to be wary of our historical anachronisms. Uh, we can't just imagine Paul writing this to West Side, yeah. and, and and our immediate response to the the idea of teach, you know, to be like a Sunday morning, um, which is interesting because then I I think what we do on Sunday morning is much closer to the way the New Testament talks about the use of prophecy. prophecy. Um, really if you want to read this verse in a sort of um, a way that hard complementarians tend to, but then you add, get rid of the anachronisms, you would have a church practice where women are permitted on stage but not permitted to really vocalize any input into a discussion in a discipleship context like a home group. Mm -hmm. And in fact, most people are comfortable with the opposite. Mm -hmm. So like something's not going right here. And that's like, you know, it's a. I I think, uh, you know, if we had like three boxes for like different views on like what the text says, how we approach understanding it, and the practices that follow, we could have a hard complementarian view that would be more like um, men are always supposed to be in leadership roles, women are not permitted to lead or to teach in a modern context. Um, They may be permitted to teach children. Up until a certain age, um, and other women, because Paul says that. Um, a soft complementarian view is like, no, like the the gift of teaching is something that God's given to men and women. Um, the constraint seems to be more about eldership, which is not an, an office rather mm-hmm. than a gifting. Yep. Um, and then egalitarian is like that plus oh no, I think the office of elder is also mm-hmm. open to men and women. Mm-hmm. Um I can make. I, I feel like you know I'm getting like eighty percent, like the Venn diagram of my practice and my theology in the text. If I'm a soft complementarian,
3: mm-hmm. it's like
1: oh, you know, there's some some things we're not sure about, but there's a higher degree of overlap between the text and the practice. Mm. Because yeah, we're just to take this word teach. That soft complementarian view is acknowledging probably Paul's uses of teach. And synthesizing that with the other things Paul says about teaching. Yep. And the fact that there are women who teach men. Yep. Or who teach as well. Right. Or um, egalitarian- leading communities in their yeah.
2: home. And yeah.
1: um, an egalitarian view, like high degree of overlap. Again, yeah, you know, the hard complementarian view mm, doesn't, you know, once you actually start looking at the text, the overlap between the view and the text looks a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why, like, Molly and I can get on well mm-hmm. theologically because we share so much overlap. Yep. Um, but and, – and not, like, hard complementarians are not welcome here or anything. It's not a to-die-for issue no. at all. No, But But, um, yeah, like, where there's less overlap there, mm-hmm. you know, it, that can be a bit harder. Yep. So a little little background. So So – is that enough on teach?
2: Yeah, I think that's okay. sufficient. And then again, all, your questions are all, always welcome. Uh, not well, Richard's questions are also always welcome. But I'm speaking to the listener <laughs> at this point in case Just that wasn't clear. clear. What question? Was I supposed to ask something? <laughs> um. So the teach, and then the second um, is the is the what we have translated as exercise authority.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and in the class, I went through a brief history of the ways in which this has, um, this translation has taken on shape over the uh, centuries. It uh, carried with it a negative connotation from the first century, mostly up until um, post-World War II with a few changes and, and, and shifts in, in the wording. So sometimes it would be dominating. Sometimes it would be usurping, but they were always describing the authority as negative. And then all of a sudden we get this word exercise, which neutralizes the type of authority being expressed, uh, in the text that does is not present in the Greek. Um, yeah. and so Paul uses, uses authentine, and again, if you were in the class, this might be uh, a little bit of a repeat, but um, we didn't get a whole lot of time to talk through it. So I'm just going to uh, just kind of run through this explanation one more time. But Paul uses the uh, word authentane and it is considered a hopex legomenon, which is a fancy way of saying that this is the only time that this is used in yeah. the New Testament.
1: It's not a spell in Harry Potter.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true. It does sound like that. <laughs> um, Paul, when he, wa- when he wants to convey a type of authority, uh, he uses the Greek word exousia, which is used 103 times in the New Testament. So contrasting that against the one singular use of authentine in this context bears a particular type of significance because that it is clear that if Paul wanted to use exousia, the type of authority he uses elsewhere, he could have. But he intentionally uses this word, authentine. Now, the trick around the word authentine is because it's only used once, the principle of how does the author use it elsewhere uh, falls flat. He doesn't use it elsewhere. So then we have to move a degree out and say, does the New Testament use it elsewhere? Again, no. So then we move on to Greek literature, and we see in Greek literature... Uh, It used um, to uh, communicate a type of force, a a type of recklessness, even. So it's quoted in um, the Council of Chalcedon. It says, I urge you to listen to me. When this reckless deed was done, they used authentane." or force, and broke into my room and grabbed me. So there's like a yeah. violating tone taking place in the use yeah. of authentic.
1: Which to point back to our discussion about like that a fight is broken out. So, yeah, it, mm-hmm. you know, yep. the other thing we do when we're trying to understand a word is like, does it fit the tone of the context, the situation yep. that seems to be being addressed, things and, like
2: that? And yes. The answer is yes. I've, actu-
1: um, I've actually got a quote here, which is um, so the... Use of this word in Greek literature that is closest to Paul's time, because uh-huh. the Council of Chalcedon is three some centuries, three hundred and ninety-two years later, yeah. or something, than this letter. Um, but it's uh, a letter from Tryphon to Asclepiades, um, and it's a boring letter. It relates to an incident where Asclepiades um, had a slave who refused to pay a boatman a boat fare. And Trifon stepped in to do something about the situation, but then writes an apology to the slave's owner, explaining that when he intervened, he acted with self-assumed authority over the slave.
2: Huh. And so... Self-assumed authentain?
1: Yes. So self-assumed authority is that authentain, loss. Oh, um, yeah. Just the ending. Yeah. But, um, yeah, which is, which is really interesting. So there's a, a situation where there's, like, some conflict going on mm-hmm. and the slave's owner wasn't there, but someone else who was, like, an, an upstanding citizen who maybe you know, felt like they had more weight in the situation mm-hmm. assumed the authority over the slave that he didn't actually have yeah. but acted as if he had yeah. and wasn't given it, mm-hmm. you know, but just took it upon himself and just, hey... Yep. Stop that! You know, dealt with the situation, but it was the self-assumed authority, right? So that's uh, I actually, you know, I can picture that incident in my mind, mm-hmm. um, which I like because mm-hmm. I, I like that it's in a letter about a real-world kind of incident going on. Going it helps on during me that Picture time. the word
2: for sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so this type of authority that Paul is warning of is a type of authority that's destructive, warring self-proclaimed and hopes to initiate violence even has, has some of those tones and coming off the heels of the cult where women were the domineering forces that were not to be messed with. Paul is making it very clear that this type of authority that they're maybe used to, that they have a paradigm for in this cult that they have um, been exposed to, have leaned into, etc., is not the way of Jesus. So it's not exclusively saying that women can't hold exousia type of authority. It is warning to a type of woman holding a type of authority over a man in a way that is antithetical to the way of Jesus, controlling, violent, usurping. And we see this in Genesis three. So it's like a deeply rooted command um, that male and female are not to participate in in an authentic type of authority. Authentic is not the Greek word used in Genesis three was not written in Greek. However, it probably bears a little bit more similarity to the relational warning being unpacked in Genesis three of like, do not war against one another. We see that principle being pulled out. Our, our war is not against flesh and blood and yet it's being turned into one. Bigger principles are emerging from the biblical theology of the text that is conducive to this. Translation and then lastly, um, well, we're going to go into Ude, which is the is what's joining because
1: there is I, there's this uh, like other view of Orthantane. so because it's debated, I'm just going to throw okay. out like uh, what might be a, um, yeah, like uh, fits the context again, but is maybe what uh, maybe more soft complementarians and some egalitarians would mm-hmm. say as well. Um, some people have said the idea that it's a dominating, usurping, kind of violent use of authority. Um, we're not sure if that's what Paul meant. It's clear in later uses of the word, mm-hmm. but we're not sure. But that quote I read of the self assumed authority. Right. So we know a fight's going on, but it's the idea that one of the things Paul may, and this may just complement what you're saying mm-hmm. rather than disagree with it, you know. Because um, we know the fight's going on. Yep. I guess the disagreement would be the fighting and the quietness deals with that. Or mm-hmm. may maybe emphasizing not so much the, the sort of you're your fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the self-assumedness of the authority. Yeah, Like there's a structure in the church. Like Timothy has been sent there. Elders have been commissioned. And there's a, a structure in the church um, like a, a funnel through which hmm. the traditions are being passed on. Like Paul says to Timothy, teach faithful people who will be able to disciple others mm-hmm. to just teach others, mm-hmm. you know. And so there's a there's a sort of uh, a system of of passing on truth, um, and you know the like he says to uh, to Timothy as well, like don't lay hands on anyone quickly. Quickly, yeah. So there's like there's a a duration of training that's supposed to proceed releasing people into exercising their gifts more and making disciples more. Mm -hmm. Um, And these women, they've come in and they've assumed an authority that has bypassed the healthy system of discipleship in the church. Yes. And not just bypassed it because anyone could bypass it. Like I could come to church and like enjoy the worship. And then whenever someone, opens the Bible, go in the 48, put my fingers in my ears and go, la, 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 I'm not listening. Right. But it's the, it's the bypassing and taking the authority, yeah. the self-assumed authority. And that's interesting because it, um, it may be something that's poking a little bit at, um, it's just interesting that the next chapter starts talking about those who desire to be an elder. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and so, yeah. so it, it may be talking about like, hey, there's a route to, like, being, I don't know, not just shutting these women down. Like, there may be a dysfunction to your background and culture of you just wanting to fight for influence and fight for what's right. Mm-hmm. And, but you're wrong about what's right, and the way you're wielding it's wrong. Like, yes. But the desire is good. What you need to do is learn so that we can then do that in a right way.
2: Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it points to a discipleship issue, yes. not a like church what practice church or practice or that's thing universal or, yeah, yeah, universal thing and i would agree i would actually agree with that i think it does complement it and i think it is worth noting that um you said it well that because it's not used by paul or by the new testament there there's room for gray yeah. so all, what we what we do have is the the context yes. in greek literature
1: and as we discover more about you know, like trying to understand Trifon's use of it. Oh, do we have any other more texts by Trifon? No. Do we have anyone who was from the same city or background, or maybe educated in the same school? Or you know, mm-hmm. just right. We're constantly discovering more to enlighten these conversations. But I will say that but what's clear is that it's. I mean, I feel like it's really clear. Is it's not talking about a modern church office no. of being a Bible teacher on a stage? No,
2: no. And I and I will say. Uh, Jesus talks about the like um, maybe the the way in which authority is given, and even in the Jewish culture, the way in which authority is given is it's not something that you assign to yourself. It's something that others assign to you. And that's why there you know, there are these moments when he's um, even referring to like his authority comes from his father. like th- there's like a we have a box for the, an understanding around, what it means to be given authority rather than to uh, assume authority for oneself in the way that Jesus conducted himself—that um, I think bears significance on this conversation as well. Because yeah. if women were saying something to the effect of, "Like I, maybe I have a a right to this authority rather than I've been given responsibility to steward authority," mm-hmm. that again, exposes a discipleship yep. issue and a misunderstanding of authority in the church.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, this connects to, like, our local West Side ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. You know, we're an elder-governed and led mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. So our answer to, okay, how how's that authority not going to be self-assumed but commissioned yep. by, like, th- the discerning of the Spirit and, you know, like, who's our Timothy? It's our elders. Um, so... Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, if you were a part of a church tradition that didn't have elders, then have to answer the question a little differently. Um, Like -hmm. the Anglican Church, it may be a bishop. Um, Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Who did? And and then, man, we're gonna have to like uh, wrap this up and do another podcast about the Genesis bit (laughs) because that's already Mm -hmm. over an hour. But. Because we're so close. Let's talk about the word. So some translations, I am not permitting we'll change the beginning bit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. Mm -hmm. Like two infinitives so it's like Paul is giving two distinct prohibitions. Um, Some translations, so the word or makes it feel like it's distinct Um, even though in the logic of the English language it doesn't have to be but that's a logic class for another day. Um, some translations say and, and, and you can still read that as two distinct prohibitions, but you might wonder, do you mean like both together? Yeah. And, and the translations that use the word and are getting closer to Paul's usage because the connective word between these two infinitives here, mm-hmm. ude, um, is a, a word that consistently gets used by Paul and nearly always in the rest of the new testament to combine two verbs to point at a single concept and if you want to um look through all the other instances of this word so you can see like oh yeah i mean even in the english you look the mm-hmm. verses up and you you can be like oh yeah okay i can i can see what's going on yep um but one of the things um I think it's really helpful. Someone suggested a way to translate Uday is like N apostrophe. So if I said like, I'm taking it nice and easy today, I don't mean like I'm taking it nice. Like I want to have a really nice day mm-hmm. like and really happy and a really easy day. Um, I mean, that could be nice and easy, mm-hmm. but I'm really pointing at a, like a singular thing
3: mm-hmm.
1: or like hit and run. Oh no, Molly was a victim of a hit and run I wouldn't be meaning like oh someone hit her and ran away from her Mm -hmm. like there's a singular concept in mind Um, and so that's another really telling thing about the grammar of this text Um, if we walk away we'll we'll just put to one side the conversation about what kind of authority, what kind of teaching but if we walk away thinking oh Paul is prohibiting two distinct things there's two rules being given here then you know i can understand totally how we would walk away from reading the english that way mm-hmm. but the greek doesn't let us walk away with that impression
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know th- there's a sort of singular thing mm-hmm. um, and so that pulls the picture a little closer you know that these women they had they had that self assumed Authority and it was causing a fight, and the way it was causing a fight, the way they were exercising that self assumed authority was in teaching. In others. teaching, yep. And so um, that's a kind of yeah, like interesting twist here that, that constrains our, our reading a little bit, like to, to add some care to when we talk about this verse. It would be really helpful for us to always put those two concepts together. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Paul's talking about self-assumed authority expressed in teaching mm-hmm. or something right. like that.
2: Joining two ideas. And I and something we started to tread into in the class is the difference between what we're saying, where the teaching is linked to the behavior being described in that the teaching with a view of dominating a man, teaching with a view of exercising authority, Um they're not they're not making synonyms out of teach and authority so they're not interchangeable mm-hmm. there's still a dis- distinct difference between hit and run but meaning is brought through greater clarity in using both rather than just using them as individuals yes. and they're not antonyms either they're not like working in enti- entirely against one another or a way to completely yeah. contrast yeah like uh, in First Corinthians yeah. two six, it says, neither in this age nor in the age to come, those are two antonym type ideas yeah. being linked. These are not synonyms or antonyms, but yes. one is directly linked to the behavior of another.
1: yes and the the contrast that's going on here, if you talk about similarity and you know difference with synonyms and antonyms, there is an inclusio. So an inclusio is like, I'm going to begin an idea." contrast it with something then finish the idea or reiterate the idea um and the the idea um, that comes before and after here is the quietness
2: mm-hmm. the,
1: the peacefulness yeah 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 so so we so it's almost like paul is saying hey we've got this problem going on you women are like uh, yeah you're, you're embroiled in a fight it's not right guys you need to stop fighting and pray and women like quietness is you need to embrace quietness and you need to be open to what God actually like to to correction not assuming authority and teaching and causing more fights but quietness Uh so the you know whatever's going on here the way we read the middle bit there like the beginning of verse 12 it's it's a contrast with the quiet learning Mm -hmm. so rather than quiet learning the problem was the self-assumed uh, antagonistic, arrogant, wrong teaching, a false yep. doctrine, yep. and so, yeah, that it just makes really good sense of the context. The Greek grammar fits the historical picture. It's ticking like it's ticking lots of boxes. Um, these views, um, and uh, I, I'm just gonna an addendum, and then I think we'll stop for today. Have a bit more conversation because we've got to finish this conversation. <laughs> yes. uh, but um, for a, a church that takes a view that male, el- like the eldership is constrained to males, they're going to look at the teaching and assuming authority, pairing, like the singular concept being talked about here, really as eldership. And that is a it's a possible reading. Um, you know, teach... The kind of idea of teaching and discipleship, you know, could be much broader here. Um, but some churches do have a view that teaching, whether in a discipleship context or on a Sunday, should only be done by yeah. elders. Like the Plymouth Brethren is a, an example of a church like that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's like a little, okay, but it, where's the male eldership stuff come from? Um, you know, you're going to be hooking Not just here, but you're going to be hooking a little bit on like, oh, I think um, the kind of, uh, I don't know, breaking the pattern is like they were trying to act as elders when they shouldn't have been Mm. or something like that. Paired then with like, you'll have to understand some bits of the Genesis stuff that follows and some other verses as that being a universal rather than a sort of limited Temporal, uh, yeah. temporal thing that's going on. Um, yeah, so there's a little note on that. Yeah. All right. I think that's enough. If you've listened for an hour and twelve minutes, you've done very well. Uh, we'll give you a break, and then um, we will talk about the uh, that Adam Paul's M- use of Genesis and Genesis and Eve and all of that stuff, which is actually not as grammatically complicated. So True, the but seems podcast to be. Will hopefully, not be an hour long. No. All right. <laughs> We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode
1: of the House of Learning podcast.
0: This podcast is produced by Jesus Church College based at Westside Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.